0: If you have your copy of scripture, will you turn with me to Luke chapter 23? Luke chapter 23. And while you're turning there, um, I invite you into some of the life of my week. Uh, my son recently turned eight, <clears throat> and for over a solid year, he's been talking about riding go karts. Like he just really, really has been wanting to ride go karts. And when I was a child, my dad and I went to uh, A local place that has go karts, and it was just kind of one of those like core memory days, like for him and I, just like a wonderful day full of fun riding go karts. And so my dad um, was generous and and took our family to this place. Um, But the place has grown, and now there's like a handful of go kart tracks, but there's also, it's like a small amusement park, and so there's different rides and such. And so we get in there, and it was just a a day full of fun. Um, But my daughter fell in love with the first roller coaster that we were kind of surprised that she was allowed to ride, but she ended up riding that thing 14 times that day. It's pretty amazing. Um, but the second roller coaster, there's two roller coasters there. It's a wooden one, at least it looks like it's a wooden one. Um, and so we're thinking like that's probably less extreme than the steel one that we had just rode. And so we bring her along, but they tell us like she's too small. And we're like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Like, but then we ride it and it's like 10 times more intense. Like it's pretty like, whoa, you lose that, you get that feeling like I lost my stomach for a second, like over and over and over throughout it. Um, so it was a lot of fun. We rode that one quite a few times too. Um, but knowing what that one was like, there came a point when we are riding it again. And so me, my father, and my son Leland are getting in line. And um, there's, there's another family there. And there's a, a young man in that family who goes from like, we're at a, a place that's all about having fun. And so he's like, big smile and everything. As we're going up the steps and getting close to it, He watches one of them take off, and suddenly everything changes, and he's not wanting to be there. And so he goes from, like, this is great, to, like, while we're in the waiting, he's just wailing, like, full on scream crying. And so they somehow convince this kid to get in there, like, against his will. He's strapped in, and he's in front of us, like, we're in the back of this cart thing, and he's in front, and we just hear him, like, wailing. And so, you know, it's the click, 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 going up to the top before you get that first drop, and he is just losing it, like screaming like he is dying, and I'm just thinking, he has no idea. Like, this is not going to be good, and we come over that thing, and the first drop, like me and Leland and Maya were like, yeah, this is great and everything, like, because we're crazy, and um, I look forward, and that kid is gone. He's just gone, like totally disappeared. Like, Huh. Where, where did that kid go? Like he has tucked in between his legs and he is not coming up for breath. <laughs> and, and he stayed down the entire ride. The ride ends and the guy next to him kind of like forces him to come up and his face is like blood red. I'm like, wow, <laughs> that, was, that was awful. Um, yeah, well that's our tendency, right? That's, that's what we like to do. We like to look away and pretend the horror isn't there or that it's gonna go away before long. Like, it's not really there. And I have to ask, like, is that how we treat the cross? You know, sometimes we just want to, like, no, 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 like, just look away or tuck in. It'll be gone soon. But if we actually really look at it, and that's what I want to do today, is challenge you to actually look at the cross, to keep your head up and see the terror unfold. The cross is not the stylized jewelry that we like to wear. This is the horrific, brutal reality of a place of unimagined terror and torment and sure death. This is an execution device. And that's where our Lord died. So, Holy Week is kind of like a roller coaster ride. That we start out showing up at the park. This is gonna be great. The triumphant entry that Jesus comes riding in humble on a donkey. Everyone's shouting, throwing their clothes down to make a saddle and make this roadway, like the red carpet treatment. Here comes the king, Hosanna and the highest. Glory to God. The king has come, he's come to set us free. This is our salvation. We see you. You're the Messiah. This is glorious. This is beautiful. Everything is so good. And then you go throughout that week, and it's like he's doing these weird things. He's going in the temple and making whips, driving people out. He's angry. Okay, this. Okay, we're, I'm with you. I'm with you. And he's he's confronting these religious leaders, and like you yeah, put them in their place. Like okay, I'm with you. And we're tracking along, and then suddenly come to Thursday night, and he's saying these crazy things. We're in an upper room with the best friends of Jesus, and he gets down, takes off his clothes, and he's wiping the filth out from their toes. Like, no one wants to be the servant. I'm a servant, and this is what it looks like to love each other. That the God of the cosmos is on his hands and knees wiping away the filth from between their toes and says, love each other like I've loved you. And he says, you know, one of you is gonna betray me. It's the one that I'm I'm actually gonna dip the bread with. We're gonna share in this meal together. This is what I do, is I, I actually eat with my enemy. But I'm gonna call you friend. Like, surely not me, no, no, no. Like, trying to figure it out, and he's like, you know, actually, all of you will fall away. And then they go to a garden that they they go to often, and Jesus is praying, and he's like, guys, I know it's late, but will you stay awake? I just need you to stay awake with me. I'm gonna walk over here and pray a little. And then over and over, Jesus is just in anguish. He is so anxiety-ridden. He is so stressed out that he's sweating blood and he walks over repeatedly to his closest friends. He's like, you're sleeping. I Just just stay awake with me. Like, yeah, sleep out of my eye. I don't know what's going on. This is crazy. And then there's a big crowd. There's a mob coming with flaming torches and weapons. And here comes Judas and betrays Jesus with a kiss. Peter's like, I'm not having it. I know what this week is about. He pulls out a sword and cuts off the servant of the high priest, ear obviously aiming for something else. And Jesus is like, stop it. Puts the ear back on the guy, Mr. Potato Head. It's awesome. <laughs> they take Jesus away like a criminal. And you get through that night and you feel the roller coaster ride. And we come to Friday. Jesus, arrested last night, hasn't slept. He's already covered in blood from sweating blood he has so much stress, knowing what's to come. And then they take him in here, trumping up all these charges against him. Nothing seems to be sticking. Uh, there comes a point. pilot's like, you know what, this is just crazy, I, can't, I find nothing wrong. I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat him, and then set him free. And they're like, no, 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 no. They're, it's like, well, we have a tradition. We can let one of, one of the prisoners go. Do you want rabbis this crazy guy who's like a murderer? You want the murderer, or do you want this guy? Like, Barabbas, give us the murderer. <laughs> like, okay, we'll have him. Like, look, there's, there's nothing I can charge this guy with. This is your problem. Like, no, 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 this is your problem. He says he's king, you know, Caesar is king. Like, okay, here's the thing. What do you want? Crucify him, crucify him. So Jesus is flogged. And this is where we pick up in chapter 23. Look at verse 26 with me. It says, as they led him away, they seized Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming in from the country and laid the cross on him to carry behind Jesus. So some context, Jesus is now being led. He's been beaten, he's been mocked. At one point, Pilate had him sent to Herod and um, Herod just makes a mockery of him. He's like, dress him up in a purple robe. Put this crown of thorns on him. He wants to be king, let's make him look like a king. Beat him some more. Some of the soldiers have put a, a cloth over his face and they're punching him saying, all right, prophet, prophesy, who hit you? Like all these things have happened. He's been tied to a stake where his hands would be wrapped around a stake to where he can't move away and his back is fully exposed and they would take off any garments to protect him at all and they would take a cat of nine tails, this, this whip, and this is how they would flog them. And it's leather strands that sometimes they would actually attach little bone fragments and pieces of glass to the ends of it and they would rip it across there and each time would open up new welts And sometimes those sharp pieces would actually grab into the skin and tear off entire pieces of flesh at a time. And each time, more and more would be exposed. And so here's Jesus and that kind of anguish being marched with his cross. And probably, we don't know why, but probably because he is already so beaten and hurting and physiologically the toll is just so massive that they have to Take someone else, this Simon character, say you carry his cross for him so they can get him outside the city where they're going to crucify him. It's verse 27. A large crowd of people followed him, including women who were mourning and lamenting him. And so you see it turn back and forth, this roller coaster ride of we are with you, we've got you, we're never gonna leave you, you're gonna leave me, you're gonna abandon me. And you have Peter deny him three times, you have John kind of staying in the shadows, watching from a distance, he's got some connections, you've got all these disciples kind of on the fringes, uh, but now the crowds that were screaming crucify him, now you have this remnant, this, this other group that's kind of coming forward, and now they're, they're weeping, they're lamenting, they're seeing the horror of what is playing out. And so we have to enter back into that too. If you have been reading through the Gospel of Luke with us in our church-wide reading plan, how do you just go back through this story and consider who this is that is being led away with a cross. Now this is Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, who shows up to be circumcised and present the offering and all the stuff at the temple and Simeon and Anna are there, these older people, and they're like, this is the one. This is the consolation. This, this is the Savior. He has come. And so, you know, Mary's storing up all these things in her heart and Jesus grows and, and by 12 years old, he's, he's challenging and just besting the best of the best in the temple and the teachings of the scriptures. Like there's something about him and he comes to his day of baptism and his brother John is baptizing him and his brother John just points, to him, like, man, I'm not worthy to untie your sandal straps, but here's Jesus, he's being baptized, he comes up out of the water and God the Father calls out from heaven above and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. <laughs> And the spirit of God descends like a dove and it lands on Jesus, anointing him in power, that in the power of the spirit, now Jesus goes out into the wilderness and he faces temptation after temptation as Satan, the accuser, he comes, the Satan comes to trip him up as a human and yet this human, this Jesus does not say yes. And that alone, as humans, to think that there was another human who could actually say no, that wouldn't fall into sin, he comes back, starving, and chooses these guys that no one would have chose. Just ordinary guys. He says, you follow me. Like what an honor, what a privilege. And they're watching him do what only God himself can do, proving himself to be the God man. This is God in flesh, walking amongst us, walking on water, multiplying food so that the masses could eat. He's saying things like your sins are forgiven. He's teaching with great authority, authority that comes from within himself. He does not have to appeal to another authority. That's so so striking and so divisive because the religious are like, "No, we can't have that. We're the best of the best." But everything he does proves he's actually better. He is something greater. He's raising the dead back to life. He's healing the sick. He's giving sight to the blind. He's touching the leper that you should never touch and you should run from and they're healed and they're clean and he never gets dirty. Who is this man? But he does everything with such tenderness, with such a gentleness, such a compassion, that the children flock to him. Imagine the kids in masses running. Like, he's fun. He's a guy that kids want to be around. And he defends them. When the disciples are like, we have more important things, he's like, no. (laughs) These are the ones who inherit the kingdom. Don't stop them from coming to me. You read this gospel and you just fall so deeply in love with him. That this is really who God is. That he would come to us in this way. That he would relate to us in this way. That it would be this amazing. And now we watch him struggling to make it down the road to Calvary. Because he's been beaten by his own creation so badly. And there's a group following along now, mourning And all of that is in the back of their minds. We've seen who this man is. And now we're watching this horrific thing play out. There's deep sorrow. So verse 28. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. Look, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the women without children, the wombs that never bore, the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us for if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? But even in circumstances such as these, Jesus shows himself to be the true judge, to be the true sovereign, even as he is being judged. He prophetically announces again, you have no idea what's happening here. Don't weep for me. Judgment is coming. To say that the barren women are blessed in this culture is the opposite of what is... Just no. If you were barren, then you were cursed. If you couldn't have children, then oh. Economically, you're at a loss because children equal labor and this agrarian society and legacy and inheritance and all the things that come with children to not have children. And he says, actually, you are blessed when you can't have children if you only knew what was coming. It'd be better for the hills and the mountains to fall on us but he wants them to understand the horror of what is to come. And this green wood is hard to burn. Oh, but the dry wood. That's a, you can study this. And that's a very difficult statement that Jesus makes. It's like, what in the world? But the best that I can wrestle through it is Jesus is pointing out, like, who is Jesus? He's the sinless one. This is God himself. And so if the sinless one who is truly innocent, the only truly innocent one, is treated with this content, he's treated in this way, then how much more deserving of wrath are those of us who are dead like dry wood, ready to be burned up? That's verse 32. Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53:12. It says, Therefore I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mightiest spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. The Jesus here, with these criminals, crucified between two criminals, is counted among the rebels. This is where he is placed. And he is crucified, which is this common form of execution in the Roman Empire, that they would crucify them by the thousands across the empire. This was a very public spectacle that was meant to show you this is how brutally we will treat you if you defy us. And so in a very visible way, you would actually be exalted. You would be lifted up on a cross on this T-shaped device of wood where you would either be strapped in or in Jesus' case, and often the case, nails would literally be driven through your appendages, to hold you in place, and on this cross, you would die a very slow, agonizing death. And remember that his back has already been scorched, and so raw flesh, the nerves exposed and everything, now put on rough lumber as he's lifted up and dropped into the hole that would hold him into place. And imagine even that moment alone, how jarring, the nails in him, his back against this beam of wood, And as you would sit there, bound to this cross, you'd either die of blood loss, heart attack, or what often would happen is because of the way in which your arms are out, you would actually suffocate. That your lungs could not breathe in, you could not get enough air in, and so you would have to, with those nails through your hands or wrists, you would have to pull up a little so you could take a breath and then drop. And pull up a little, take a breath, and drop and just slowly die. This is the kind of death that they brought him to, between two criminals, to die on a cross. Verse 34 says, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. But in the midst of this, this is the heart and posture of God. That Jesus, the Son of God, is looking out as he is dying. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What? How, how can he be so gracious? And then the clothes being divided. And this is actually another prophetic fulfillment that Luke wants us to see, how this is all tying to what was already foretold. This is Psalm 22:18. 18, it says, they divided my garments among them and they cast lots for my clothing. And so the executioners would actually have the rights to whatever was on the person of the person that they killed. And so the clothing, um, anything that he had in his possession. The executioners would then get to have that. And so there's this fabric that is um, a, in keeping with the law, it's, it's not easily divisible. You're like, you're not gonna rip this thing and be like, you get a cloth, you get a cloth, you get a cloth here and there. Like, no, well, let's, let's cast the die. We'll draw straws and see who gets it. But it's this fulfillment of what was prophesied of what would happen to the Messiah. And 35, it says, the people stood watching and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. That a man dying next to Jesus, so, so full of evil and hate, as he is dying justly, Will scream insults at the man dying next to him. Hey, Messiah! <laughs> Let me make one more crude joke here. Save yourself and save us, huh? Yeah, people yelling insults. The Roman soldiers yelling insults. Another criminal, a man dying, yelling insults. In verse forty, but the other answered, rebuking him, "Don't you even fear God, since you were undergoing the same punishment?" We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. We've called this series Certainty. Uh, Luke wrote to Theophilus saying he wanted him to have a certainty about the things in which he had been instructed. And we want you to have a certainty about who this man dying on the cross is. And do you see the certainty of this other criminal? Do you see the certainty of the man who responds to the other criminal mocking Jesus and says, don't you fear God? We're here justly. We're getting our due. I deserve to be on this cross. You deserve to be on this cross. He does not deserve to be on that cross. And he looks to Jesus Hey, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus says, yes. Like today, you'll be with me. I'll be with you in paradise. Do you see the certainty on both ends? This is the gospel. This is what we are called to do in response to the gospel. This is everything we need to know about what the gospel is and our response to it, that this man acknowledges and confesses his own fault, his own sinfulness. He owns it. This is a repentant heart. He sees the righteousness of Jesus and he turns from his own wayward soul and he looks to Jesus to be the savior of his soul. That Salvation has to come from you. He recognizes Jesus' lordship, his kingship. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, you are the king, you are the Lord. It's your kingdom. He's humbling himself before the one who should be exalted above all. He saw Jesus' death as this necessity for the Messiah. That it didn't faze him, he's dying. He doesn't deserve to be there, but it didn't phase him. He still with confidence says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That this is necessary. When the rest of the world watching is at a loss, we're like, how did it come to this? If we, but we believed in him, and now he's dying. And yet somehow this criminal stuff, well, this is part of it, isn't it? So remember me when you come into your kingdom. You're the king. This is necessary. He looks forward to a resurrection for both Jesus and himself. He's literally dying. Why would he say, remember me when you come into your kingdom? Unless he is fully confident, he believes, he has faith that this is not the end. You will live again, and I will live again, and on that day will you remember me. His hope for everlasting life is not in getting off of a cross, but in Jesus saying, life comes through me. You remember me, Jesus. He called on and he relied on Jesus entirely for salvation. Again, he is dying. There is no opportunity for him to come off the cross, be baptized, give a certain dollar amount to the church, or do any good work. Nothing more than his confession on this cross, his heart, full faith in Jesus alone to sal- to salvation. There is nothing else. Christ alone can save And please understand, if he were to come off of that cross and live, then that salvation that comes by grace through faith alone would absolutely result in a changed life to where he would do good works for the glory of God. That would start with obedience and baptism and carry on into so many things. But for salvation, for Jesus to say, today you'll be with me in paradise, this is enough. This is our response you confess you were a sinner, you were broken, and he is sinless. He is righteous. There is a resurrection that is coming. Trust him. Look to his mercy and his grace for everlasting life, for forgiveness of sins. Turn from your sin, see there's forgiveness, and what God has done, this death is necessary because it pays for our sin. The criminal got it, and we should too Verse 44, it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three because the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. It's almost this kind of like, could have been more, Luke. (laughs) This is actually how I feel when I read any of the gospel accounts of Christ's death. It's like, why is it so summarized? It's just like, God's oh, it's done. He breathed his last. And Andy he packs with a lot in here. This is apocalyptic imagery. Um, this is cosmic events taking place that the sun is darkened in the middle of the day. And there's so many things that I would love to go down the theological nerd hole with you, but... There's, there's a lot happening here. But this cosmic event where the sun darkens, the temple veil, temple veil, the curtain is torn, and this is likely the curtain that would divide out the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And so the idea is um, only one day a year the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies, and this is the day of atonement where they would sprinkle blood over the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And so um, this is a day to make atonement for the sins of Israel. And you only go in there and they would actually wear bells and have ropes and stuff because if the, if the priest had not done his due diligence in making sure that he was purified and everything ready to do this, um, then he could be killed. And so if the bell stopped ringing, tug on that rope. You okay in there? you hear no response. Let's drag him out. He's dead. The presence of God is there. And it is dangerous to be in the presence of God because he is Holy. And so this separation between us and God because his righteousness and our unrighteousness, the division that had been brought into existence because of our sin, our rebellion. And now there's this curtain so that keep you from accidentally glimpsing in there. It's a thick curtain, actually. Like not just one that like this, you could just kind of like, oh, the wind blows and you can see it. No, this is a thick one that like you'd have to kind of wade through. The holy presence of God in there And we are out here, and there's a division between us. And yet, as Christ dies, the division is torn in two. I mean, the presence of God is now among us. Because he is the ultimate sacrifice. He is full atonement. There's no longer a need for an annual day of coming in to offer a sacrifice. Instead, Jesus is the once final for all sacrifice. And so now, God with us, there is no division. Do you understand that believer that you now have direct access to God? The the preacher in the book of Hebrews, he says that we boldly approach the throne of grace. That you do that boldly, you come to the throne of grace because it is a throne of grace. That you did not deserve to be here, but God demonstrated, he lavished grace on us. He died. The final sacrifice All the typological sacrifices are done, the once and final sacrifice has been made, atonement is secured, and Jesus has died. I love that it says he breathed his last, or as some of the other gospel writers say, he gave up the spirit. Either way you look at it, Jesus is the one who is intentionally doing this. Commentator, Robert Stein, he said it like this. He said, even in his death, Jesus was actually in control. He was not killed. He did not die. Rather, he voluntarily gave up his life to death. Jesus was master even in his death. And we have to ask why. Like, if you you can ride the roller coaster and keep your head up and see the brutality of all of this, and we have to ask why. Why was this so horrific? You know, there, there's actually a lot of other ways to die that are physically far worse than crucifixion. It sounds awful, because we are so numbed and, and just kind of like, we, we avoid death. We no longer have cemeteries to walk through to come into church. Um, we don't put cemeteries in the middle of town typically anymore. We kind of hide them. Put a lot of trees up. Like, we don't, it makes us uncomfortable. But there actually are way worse ways to die than crucifixion. So it wasn't just the crucifixion that was so horrific about this. It's what was happening on that cross. Because other people facing execution, even today, they don't sweat blood looking towards their death. So what gave Jesus such anxiety? And this is where we have to actually look at the cross and see it's not just that torture device. It's not just that execution device. It is so much more. We have to actually look at it. Andy Casagrande is a, a cameraman who does a lot of work for the annual Shark Week. And so he's in the ocean with a camera, no weapons, he's got a camera. And he's around all these sharks, um, lots of times great white sharks. And so in an interview, um, someone asked him, like, you know, if you're in the ocean, you don't have a weapon, you're the cameraman, you're not supposed to be in the shot. There's a great white there, and it starts coming towards you. What do you do? And his response was, you swim towards it. Swim towards it. The great white coming at you. You swim towards it. And he said this, he said, now they're like, wait a second, everything in the ocean swims away from me. The reality is that if you don't act like prey, they won't treat you like prey. This is is what we must do. Don't shy away from the offense, the brutality of the cross. Look at it and see that it's actually salvation. But you have to see what it really is. You have to see, this is the bronze serpent of the Old Testament, and the wanderings of the wilderness. Um, this is what Jesus said in John chapter three, um, just before the famous John three sixteen and 14 and 15, he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. That Jesus lifted up like this bronze serpent put on a pole in the wilderness, you have to look at it for salvation. Because what had happened is the, the Israelites, are kind of in typical fashion, are grumbling, they're complaining, they're not believing and trusting God. And so there comes a point when a, a plague breaks out. And, and so in judgment, now what's happening is there's a ton of snakes, like tons of poisonous snakes. And everybody's getting bit by snakes and they're dying in mass, Like people are falling out all over the place, bit by poisonous snakes. And if you've ever heard of anyone bit by a poisonous snake, it's never like, there's like, oh, I went to sleep and... No, it's like awful. People are dying all around and Moses is like, we know we're guilty. We know that we deserve this. But God, in your mercy, what do we do? Like fashion a bronze snake, like the thing that's killing you. And you put it up on a pole and everyone who looks at it will be spared. If you get bit by a snake, you know you're dying, legs swelling up, it's excruciating and there's Moses holding up this bronze snake like, just look at it. Look at the thing that bit you. And you look at it, and suddenly your leg stops hurting so bad, and the swelling starts to go down. You realize your life has been spared by looking at the thing that was killing you. And when you look at the cross, you have to see the brutality and the horror of the innocent one, the Son of God, God in flesh, dying. But what makes that so horrific is not just the physical toll and experience but the fact that on that cross, what he did was take all of our sin, all of our shame, he took it on himself. Every bit of darkness in you, Christian, the light of the world drove out and took on himself as the sun darkens. You think, "Well, the wrath of God being absorbed and absolved by God himself in this moment as he exchanges our sin for his righteousness. That is the terror of the cross, but that is salvation. That is the bronze serpent lifted up. That is Jesus exalted, lifted up so that everyone who believes in him could have everlasting life. So look at it. Don't shy away from your sin. It was shown on the cross. But it was not just shown on the cross and the horror. It was shown to be defeated. It was shown to be paid for. It was atoned for so that we could be one with God again. This is the beauty of the cross. This is why we cannot shy away from the fact that we are broken sinners like that criminal. We have to say, we deserve to be here. This is just, and yet he is there for us. We see the cost of our sin. and You have to feel that. But Jonathan Edwards, I love how he said this. He said, our obligation to love, honor, and obey any being is in proportion to his loveliness, his honorableness, his authority. But God is a being infinitely lovely because he hath infinite excellency and beauty. So sin against God, being a violation of infinite obligations, must be a crime infinitely heinous and so deserving infinite punishment that you and I could not ever atone for our own sin. We could never make up, we could never face enough punishment for our sin because we are finite and we have defied, we have rebelled, we have offended an infinite being. And so only that infinite being comes on the cross and can take away and justly pay the infinite due that we have. Jesus does that for us. So we have to see it. You have to look at it, see this. You know, in the story, everyone present saw what was happening to some degree. Everyone sees what is taking place on the cross to some degree, but there's so many different ways, particularly two different ways to view this scene, is this is either our salvation or this is just some lying failure getting his due. And you hear what so many of them are saying. They're they're in accordance with that. Look back at verse 35. The people stood watching and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others, let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him and they came offering him sour wine and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription above him, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And he gets these three taunts. Hey, save yourself. Come on. You made all these claims, pulled off all these magic tricks, had a lot of people convinced. Save yourself now. Ah. What happened? Can't save yourself? As they're, they're yelling, taunting Jesus with these things. The real question behind can he or will he save himself is actually, is he actually the Messiah? Is he really the chosen one? And how could this be happening if he really is the Messiah? And this is exactly what Luke wants you to see. I have a certainty about. He is. He absolutely, most certainly is the chosen one. He is our salvation. This is certainty because Jesus did not save himself so that he could save others. Jesus did not save himself so that he could save others. This is our certainty. That this is immeasurable love. Love displayed for us. It's Jesus nailed to a cross, taking our sin on himself. It's his grace, our forgiveness, our salvation. Look to him so I want to conclude with an invitation. Because the thing is, we're all participants in this. Every one of us. Every one of us is a participant. So like the Roman soldiers, those demanding his crucifixion, those present just watching, those throwing insults, those taunting, we participated in Christ's death. Because we too are sinners. But there's another participation that I want to invite you in. Remember, close to the beginning of that, says that Simon carries Jesus' cross. Simon the Cyrenian. <coughs> and I think, like, they knew his name. He's coming into the city. Makes it sound like he's probably not super well-known in the city. Not the most prominent person. We actually don't know a lot about him at all, other than he carried Jesus' cross. And yet, the early Christians thought so much of that, they recorded his name. Why? because this is how we can also participate, that we all participate in the death of Jesus because of our sin. But there's another layer of participation, that you can take up your cross. You can take up a cross and walk with Jesus as Jesus has invited us to take up your cross daily and follow me. That we can die to ourselves and see that yes, while the war is still waging of our flesh with sin in this life, it's actually one because it was nailed to a cross. And so I don't need to live for myself anymore. I can live for him. And actually, I find life in his death. That I can look at it. I can see Good Friday and call it good. Because this is my salvation. This is the proof of God's love for me. That he would die for me. So that I can live with him forever. So will you participate with Christ in his death? Because you don't get Easter the resurrection, the participation with Christ, life forevermore, unless you participate with Christ in his death. Give your life to the king. Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us. You showed us love. Help us to be like that criminal, to lay down our own efforts that we can do this on our own to wholly trust you for salvation, to trust in your ability, the necessity of your death, your power to conquer death itself, to have paid for all of our sin because of your sinless life, your full, and final, perfect sacrifice, Jesus, so that we could have resurrection life with you. Remember us in your kingdom.